Uh, if you've been with us for the past uh, month, I guess, uh, we've been on this journey looking through the book of Nehemiah. And I've, I've been saying through each week that I know some of us are really uh, um, kind of overwhelmed by the idea of the, the Old Testament, just because it feels like I've got to know, I've got to have like a degree in theology to really know how this makes sense to the New Testament. And many times we've just separated them, like this is one thing, but, but it's, the whole thing's God's word. And what we, we look into, and many times scholars have put it, like this is the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, so we live under the New Covenant but it's important to kind of understand what's led us to, to Jesus and this old kind of um, way in life that, that God kind of sets up. But the whole story is about redemption, about redemption. And today we're going to dive in uh, a little bit further. Um, uh, last week, it was like football like, got kicked off, or NFL football at least, and so we watched the Jags here. We did a little kickoff cookout, and that was fun. And of course, we got let down. Um, and I'm actually a Bucks fan. I'm from Tampa originally, and, and so I'm a Bucks fan. And we got blown out more than anybody else did. There's so much uh, excitement for my team uh, this year, and we got blown out. It was awful. We had the number one pick. It was terrible. So immediately, we had to face adversity. We immediately, as soon as it got going, we had to, to face that. This this week. Um, I was building a table. Uh, some of you know I'm, I, I build some things. And so I was building a table for a lady, and I had this great design in, in my head of how it was going to work. And I got out there, and I started making cuts, and it was all going to... And as soon as I started putting things together, I was like, I'm such an idiot. Like, this is not going to work. I, the, my measurements were off. I had wasted wood. I would wasted time. And I was so frustrated, and I just kind of felt this in, immediate internal struggle about my stupid mistake, right? And so sometimes there's... There's things uh, in our life that we face. We all face adversity at all different levels. Um, and some of those things are things that happen to us where we thought we were ready for it, and then something happens, right? Life happens. Other times, it's our own dumb mistake. And what began to happen to me this past Monday is that I immediately be saying, oh, you're too stupid for this. Like, you're not smart enough. You're not good at this. You're a failure. You're like, you can't. All these kind of words that I've kind of pinned in, in my own mind or people have said into my own life, in the course of my life, just start coming back. So we all face adversity. And, and that's what we find with Nehemiah, that he faced some incredible adversity in rebuilding the walls. And uh, I think we all face adversity. There's lots of different types of adversity. I'd say there's mental and emotional adversity, right? I mean, those in the house, if you've ever struggled um, with any kind of uh, mental illness of any sort, if you've ever struggled with fear and anxiety, if you've ever struggled with depression, we have those mental and emotional barriers that we fight through in those, um, that adversity. I think if you've ever struggled in the house with any kind of chronic disease or a disease period or a sickness, I mean, some of you guys have gotten this kind of common cold or it goes around through your kids like the struggle is real in that moment. And there's some adversity fighting through that. Some of them are short term and some of them are long term. We fight those, those physical things that we battle through. We, we fight through the financial adversities. Some of you are, are just now getting back on your feet after a tough time from the Great Recession. I mean, we're fighting through those things. We live in our problems of job loss in our being broke as a joke for seasons or for longer seasons. Whatever it might look like, we fight through some of those adversities in our life. And, and you might say, well, you forgot about spiritual adversity, Pastor. Like, what, what about spiritual adversity? Don't we all face that? And I would argue that all of these are spiritual adversities. That the enemy is doing anything he can to put uh, roadblocks in our way and adversity in our way. But I also believe they're used of the Lord to do something far 
deeper in our life. And I want to begin to explore that. So sometimes we're always like, oh, the enemy's always against me or people are always against me. And what if God is so for you that he's bringing something into your life to make you more rooted in him. So that's what we're going to begin to explore a little bit today. And so uh, we'll, we'll unpack this. And just as I said, these are all spiritual kind of things we go through, spiritual adversities. I believe they're all very, very human. They're all very, very natural for us to experience in this age. But the scriptures promise to us that in the age to come, that we won't deal with these adversities that Christ will come and, and, and reign forever, and we won't have to deal with our depression. So there is hope in the midst of our pain. We won't have to deal with that chronic illness or that disease that has overcome our body in this life, but we'll have healing and, and fullness of life. And God wants us to, to experience hope in this, in this age and in the age to come. And so we're going to dive into Nehemiah, and uh, we're going to be going throughout the, the whole book. So uh, I think week one, we looked in chapter one and found that Nehemiah is a cupbearer, and God had given the, this great calling and passion to go and rebuild the walls. Sounds like a really boring job, and it's especially difficult for a guy who was literally a taste tester. All he did was taste test the king's wine to make sure he didn't die. So every day he went to work, he kind of played Russian roulette with the wine to make sure nobody was poisoned. And so I, God was calling him out of that and into this, this life's calling to, to go and rebuild the walls. Jerusalem, uh, all the um, Israelites and, and the Jews had been deported from Jerusalem 70 years prior and then uh, under King Nebuchadnezzar, and then finally uh, King Cyrus had allowed the people to go back and rebuild the temple, because it's kind of the center of life, and many people had come back. It's known as um, the Babylonian captivity or Babylonian exile, and so they come back, and now the walls are down, and that's an issue in their age, because it had to do with uh, the security of their city. And so many times the adversity, sometimes when our walls are down, it's when the enemy kind of creeps in and became, comes after our temple, Right? And so that's kind of what we're getting into with this whole giant series is, is building, up, building up those walls and, and that faith. And I think the understanding adversity is going to help build up those walls today too. So if we, as we look through Nehemiah, the whole chapter, he's just facing adversity. It begins in chapter 2 when the first bit of uh, adversity he faces is his motives being questioned. Let's look at 2.19 here. When Simbalat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Jeshem, the Arab, heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? What, what, are they, what kind of adversity are they facing here? They're having their, their motives questioned. You ever had your motives questioned about anything? Like, like you were really had good intentions and you were doing your best and someone comes in and questions your motives. That's the first, I think, thing that he sees throughout this book, that kind of adversity, uh, not to mention the actual shape of things, is they questioned his motives. Right after we moved here, um, uh, I actually, I, I get some kindly worded emails and notes in the mail every once in a while from folks mostly unsigned, uh, and so I got one of those right after we had started, and uh, it was actually, it was on Facebook, so he found me on Facebook, and had some, you know, nice things to say, um, not really, but he, he really was just saying, why do we need another church, man? Like, what are you doing here? And I, and I was like, are you a believer? Are you, like, not a believer? Because, like, if you're a believer, like, why are you saying we don't need another church? And immediately began to question my motives about why we were here and what we were doing. It's kind of what Nehemiah was going, so I, my heart's kind of going out to Nehemiah. He hasn't even done anything yet. He's just getting in the city and starting to talk to people. And that's, that was the same with us. We hadn't even started yet. Like, you don't even know who we are. You don't know what we're about, and you're immediately questioning our motives. And that begins to happen with us. So that was the first kind of level 
of adversity he faced. And what we're going to do is we're going to unpack all these adversities. Then we're going to look at just what the scriptures speak into our life about adversity. So his his motives are questioned, first of all. It's probably happened in your life. Uh, Let's continue. Let's look at at chapter 4. He sees some more adversity beginning to come his way. When Sembalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. Like, if you were incensed, I guess that's really ticked. I don't really know. Uh, He ridiculed the Jews. Nobody uses that word. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from uh, those heaps of rubble burned as they are? He's saying it in front of a bunch of people, so he's kind of questioning his motives and kind of running them down in front of people. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they uh, building? Even a fox could uh, climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. So he begins to question all kinds of things. He's questioned his motives, and now he's questioned all kinds of things about here. He's, he's questioned their abilities. Like, what are you doing? Like, you're, you're not, you're a, you're a stinking cupbearer, right? I mean, that's kind of what was happening with me the other day. I, I began to question my abilities. Like, can I actually do this? Like, am I too, am I smart enough to figure this out? <clears throat> begin to question their abilities. They begin to question their goals. Like, what are you doing rebuilding this wall? Like, who cares? Begin to question their worship. Are they going to offer sacrifices and their quality? Like, even a fox could knock this over. And what I want you to see uh, uh, about this particular one, that we're going to look at a text here in just a second. But they begin to pour these things in. And that's verses 1 through 3. And as we get to, to verse 10, I want you to read what begins to happen is what they were saying to them, the things that they were questioning the people, what begins to happen there is that they begin to question themselves in those things. What someone else had poured in, now they're fighting against themselves and asking themselves that, that, that thing that had been planted there is kind of boiled up into insecurity. It's, it's boiled up into fear and anxiety, and it's birthed itself in a, a whole other way. Let's look at verses 8 through 11. There's some more adversity they're facing. They all plotted together. So now everything's just ramping up more and more intense. All right, we're questioning your motives. That's one thing. Now you're questioning my abilities, my goals, my worship, my quality, everything. They're questioning everything. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. So most of the time, that's kind of what happens in our life. Someone doesn't start up like, I'm immediately going to tear you down, right? I'm just going to ride out, blast and face. They'll just start talking about your back behind your back, right? I mean, has that ever happened in anybody's life? I mean, come on. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night <clears throat> to meet this threat. So they, they, they responded to it spiritually, and they responded to it physically, right? They're going to respond to this. Meanwhile, listen to this. The people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. We're getting weak. And there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. What they had spoken out is now they're saying it themselves. The Jews are saying it themselves. Like, we're not strong enough. Like, we're giving out, we're too tired, and I believe that's that mental adversity that they're having to, to get through, get through. I mean, that was kind of the thing with my Bucks last week. I mean, sorry, I'll go back to football. But after the first half, they, they, they were down 21 points in, like, the first five minutes of the game, like, 10 minutes of the game. I'm like, are you serious? Like, who can, how do you actually do that? Just hang on to the ball and take a knee, you'd be better off than whatever else you did. They were down 21 in like the first five minutes. And so the question that all the announcers and commentators were talking about is how are they going to respond? How are they going to respond to this physical adversity, to this mental adversity? And I think that's what we have to see here. 
So there's the, the uh, intensity of the adversity gets harder and harder. Also, our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right back uh, there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. They're serious about stopping the work of the wall because it's a rebuilding of, uh, of the Jewish nation here and they're wanting to put an end to it, right? They want to have continued control over it and they're questioning their motives here. So we see that the plot is getting heavier. Like the adversity is getting heavier. It started with motives and all these other things that they're questioning. And now they're actually plotting. Like they're putting some things in place. They're going to make sure this doesn't go down. They plot to fight, stir up trouble, and kill. And then all the way till they finally rebuild the wall. I've been telling you every week, spoiler alert, they rebuild the wall in 52 days. It's incredible. It's a miracle. But spoiler alert, go to chapter 6, and the wall's put back together, and they pretty much have everything together. Let's read seven verses there. We're going to begin to talk about what the scripture says about facing this kind of adversity. When word came to Simbalat, Tobiah, and Jeshem, the Arab, and the rest of, the, uh, of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it. Uh, though uh, up to that time I had not set the doors in, doors in, in the gates, Sinbalat and Jeshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Um, that's right. Oh, no. What's about to happen? Uh, but they were scheming to harm me. He knew it. He knew something was up. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project. I can't go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Not happening, fellas. Then the fifth time, Sembalat sent his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter. Uh, in which was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem um, says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you're rebuilding the wall. Uh, you're building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. <clears throat> now this report, uh, we'll get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. So he's beginning, it's just ramping up. Now after it's actually completed, they're just making things up. And, and, you know, Nehemiah's like, you're just making things up. It's not going to happen. And, and that's what I, I believe the enemy will do when they're plotting to kill and can't kill us. When we won't respond to the attacks and to the adversity, they're going to just plot just to distract you. Like, after you get to that place and you're fighting through, they're just going to plot to distract and undermine character and say, no, you're a liar. You're looking to revolt. And that's not what they were doing. They were not looking. He wasn't looking to become their king. He was just following the mission that God called him to be. But they're plotting now just to distract, just anything to get your hands off of the work. So we're going to begin to refer to these uh, in several ways as we go, go forward. But I want to begin to unpack some of the things in Scripture about what God says about facing adversity. Because we all face it. We all have to struggle with it. Um, and it's how we respond to it. It's really how we respond to it. So let's begin to look at this. And, and it really be begins, I think, with knowing that what God is doing. So many times we just get caught up on what's happening on the outside. We get caught up on what someone's saying. We get caught on our financial trouble. We just get, our focus gets all on that. And we forget that it's really internally that God's trying to do something fresh in our life. It's really internally that God's trying to bring us to a certain maturity and completeness. Because what happens at salvation, what happens through justification, is that God renews us and there's this recreation that we are new beings in Christ. The old has passed away and the new has come. We are that new being in the eyes of the Lord. But in this life, we are still flawed and broken. He sees us as perfect through the blood of Jesus. But what has to happen is what's on the inside has to become so much stronger than what's on the outside. We can't get our focus 
on what's on the outside. Look at what 1 John 4, 4 says. It says this, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in, um, in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So many times it's about, and I, just, I guess I would just ask this question. Who's on the inside of you? Is it, is it you or is it, is it Christ? One of my favorite verses, one of the most transformational verses in my, in my life with the Lord was Galatians 2.20. And it says that I've died, I've died to Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the question is, who's living inside of you? Is it the Lord? And we can kind of grow, grow into this kind of word maze. Okay, that sounds really weird. Of them. But really, at the end of the day, like, is Christ living in us? Because if it's just us, and we're just working out of our own works, and if we're just working out of what's happening in our own life, then we're not going to get very far. It will never, will never be strong enough. The adversity that comes will never be strong enough. There will never be something inside of us that will rise above it, because it won't be strong enough. But if it's Christ who's living in us, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And so we've got to begin to, to cling to that and know that that's not only a goal, that God's not willing to, to he's not going to change the way it's set up, right? It's not going to change the way it's set up. And, and so when we we're find we're falling short in our flesh, yeah, we are. It is Christ on the inside of us because we are not strong enough. My wife and I talk about this so much, and, and she's talked a lot about this in our se- this season in our life where we started having kids years ago, and uh, it just gets tough. It, it feels like it's so tough, like dealing with them sometimes. It's, it, the, the struggle is real. All the parents in the house said amen. All right, yeah, I thought it would have been a lot louder than that, but all right. Y'all doing, y'all doing good. That's good. Um, no, and, and, and Taryn said, she would just always say this is, and I don't know if someone said it to her or really how God spoke this to her, but that God gives you the grace for that season. God gives you the grace for that season. Like, you didn't have that grace before kids, and then when you're in that season, you need more of his grace. You need more of his mercy. And you just, every season, like, he, he's, he's allowing that to come in. Uh, there, there were some decisions in, in my life in the past you know, three to six months I've had to make and, and some things that God's calling me into. And I just think back a year ago, three years ago, five years ago, I could have never walked in that decision with confidence. But in, in the current day, God has brought me to, to that place because there's been more grace for this season. There's been more. It's just been growing. What's inside of me has been growing as my life has become more deeply rooted in Christ. And I think that's really what this next part is, is that adversity actually provides this beautiful opportunity to more, be more deeply rooted in Christ. Uh, I, I feel like I had to learn this the hard way. A couple years ago, I, I felt like, I don't know if it was the tough, toughest time of my life, but it was a, a pretty stinking hard one. And I was dealing with just um, a lot of stuff. I'm like, my baggage was all coming to the table. Um, God, God didn't want me to hang on to that any longer, right? Sometimes when that's coming up, God's wanting to get it out. So it's a good thing, so just let it come out. Um, and God, that was happening in my life. God brought some adversity in my life. It wasn't anything anybody did to me. But it was how I was responding to that. God wanted me to more, be more deeply rooted. And I remember calling one of my mentors in, in church planning, and he, he shared he, he shared many wise things to me along this journey. But he shared this. He said, Kyle, your identity is not wrapped up in what you put your hands to. It's not wrapped up in what you do for a living. It's not wrapped up in being a pastor. Your identity is not wrapped up in, in being a dad. He said, your identity must be in Christ, in Christ only. And out of those things, it breathes life into all that. 
And man, I, I could have preached that message really good probably years before, but in that moment, that is all I needed to hear because I knew that God wanted to, me to be more deeply rooted in him. This adversity that had happened in my life where things didn't work out like I thought, and all these things that were coming back and forth, the mental adversity, the physical, the financial, all that adverse, adversity, God wanted to use it for me to be more deeply rooted in him. Look at what Colossians says here. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So we begin to have thankfulness and then that we are being, as long as we've been rooted in Christ, we don't have, we get so caught up in the external, but it's being rooted in Christ and the internal that begins to birth forth fruit. I love how James says it. He says it really powerfully. James uh, chapter one, verse two and four, two through four. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face many trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work. I love that line. Let it finish its work. Sometimes my kids are like nagging at me like while I'm working on something and I can't focus on anything. And, and I'm like, dude, just let me, let me finish, right? Like I want to stop. I want to be a good dad. I'm like, it's okay, buddy. But usually what I say is just let me finish my work. Just let me finish this and then we'll play with the trains or whatever you want to do. Let perseverance finish its work. Sometimes we want to hit the eject button and God's not done with that yet. God's not done, and we're wanting just to get out of the struggle when the struggle God is using for us to be more deeply rooted in him, that foundation to be there. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What do you mean? How would we be lacking anything? Again, in Christ's eyes, perfection. Holiness comes through him alone. But in this life, we are becoming more mature, and, and, and our hearts are being more deeply and deeply rooted in Christ in every season. And some of us, it doesn't matter age. Like maturity in Christ is not an age thing. It's not. It's not. Um, because there's been people who are in their 80s and 90s and have been with Jesus for 70 years, and I've looked at them in the face, and I'm like, I don't think you know Jesus. Like you've been in the pew, and like you've been a tither and a giver, and you've taught Sunday school for a thousand years, and like that's amazing. But I look in their eyes, and I'm like, I don't know if you know Jesus. Because if you did, like, I think by this time, like, there'd be some maturity coming out. And I'm not, I wasn't, I, didn't, I never said that, and that's between them and the Lord. But at the end of the day, like, if you've been with the Lord, like, you can't stay the same. Like, God changes us. When we get him down inside of us, it changes us over time. So we got to let it finish its work because he's bringing us into that maturity and that completeness. And will we ever fully get there in this life? No. We won't. We won't. We won't get there in this life, but it's that journey of maturity and completeness. And when Christ returns, he'll, 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 he'll bring that fullness to, to fruition. So adversity provides that opportunity for us to be more deeply rooted in Christ. I think it's a big part of it is our eyes must be fixed. Our eyes must be fixed on Jesus. Um, I think many times it's really easy to be distracted. And just like we were talking about with some of the adversity that Nehemiah, they were sending these letters, everything was up, right? The walls are up, just got to put a few doors in place, sign the letters, you know, get, be done with it. And all they were trying to do is just get his eyes off of the work. And I think it goes into our life what Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says to us right here. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and I love this, the perfecter of our faith. Again, bringing that maturity, bringing that fullness, bringing that completeness, the pioneer, perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. 
and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him was you, and it was me. It was taking on the sins of the world. He took that as joy, that the greatest adversity of his life being crucified on a cross where he wept in a garden and was just like, God, take this from me. He, he considered it joy that was set before him to walk in that fullness. And, and we have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. One of the things that, that I felt like were the, was the problem last team with my bucks, right? Keep going back to football. And I remember this when I, I was a, a kid and like I, I played quarterback in, in high school and I just remember like you can't let your eyes get on the rush coming after you because as soon as you start looking at the rush, you're not reading the defense and you're not going to get the ball to the target, right? You start focusing on everything that's coming against you and not on where you're going and not on the people in front of you. And I think that that goes back to this keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Don't be focusing on the rush. Don't focus on the adversity. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and pioneer of our faith. We get caught up. This has happened to me. This has happened to me. And then we just become complainers. And the gratefulness and the thankfulness that it's talked about as we're being rooted and built up, we see in Colossians is not happening because we're just complaining about the rush as opposed to keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. How many of you guys would like to have joy and hope in the midst of struggle? Like, yeah, how many of us would actually be able to say what James said, consider it pure joy when you face trials? We don't do that. But we have to, do, we, we have to desire what God has for us more than what this world does. And, and again, when we get more deeply rooted in Christ, it becomes less about me overcoming this thing and Christ doing something fresh in us. And it becomes less about the people that are against us, the things that are happening to us, the sickness. It becomes all about the Lord, all about what God's doing. Um, finally, I just want to share this. Your faith in the midst of adversity is a witness to the world. Your faith in the midst of adversity is a witness to the world around you. I was um, doing some research, and I was just going back and reading through some, um, some preachers and, and different famous people who had um, faced a lot of adversity in their life and had overcome that. And particularly, I was reading this, this article on preaching through adversity. I just happened to stumble across this. How do you preach through adversity? How do you keep coming up? If you're fighting through battles, how do you get up here and just kind of share the truth? And there's a, um, a well-known theologian named Charles Spurgeon, um, world-renowned. By the time he was 20, he had like 6,000 people come into his sermons. And he, he battled with a lot of things in his life. You can clear that for just a second. I'll, I'll go to that in just a second. Um, he battled with a lot of things in his life. He battled with uh, depression. He had gout and a bunch of other diseases. He... Uh, he got married, had a couple of kids, and probably seven, eight, eight nine years into his uh, marriage, uh, his wife was, uh, b- became paralyzed, and he had to care for her with carrying on like this, this mega church before there's a mega church, right? And so, but he battled with this depression day in and day out for his whole life, and he says this, one Sabbath morning I preached from the text, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And though I did not say so, yet I preached my own experience. I heard my chains clank while I tried to preach to my fellow prisoners in the dark, but I could not tell why I was brought into such an awful horror of darkness, for which I condemned myself. On the following Monday evening, a man came to see me who bore all the marks of despair upon his countenance. His hair seemed to stand up right, and his eyes were ready to start from the sockets. He said to me, after a little parlaying, I never before in my life heard any man speak who seemed to know my heart. 
Mine is a terrible case, but on Sunday morning you painted me to the life and preached as if you had been inside my soul. By God's grace, Spurgeon says, I, I saved that man from suicide and led him into the gospel light and liberty. But I know I could not have done it if I had not been confined, confined in the dungeon in which he lay. I tell you the story, brethren, because you sometimes may not understand your own experience. But the perfect, and the perfect people may condemn you for having it. But what know they of God's servants? <clears throat> you and I have to suffer much for the sake of the people of our charge. You may be in, in Egyptian darkness, and you may wonder why such a horror chills your marrow, but you may be altogether in the pursuit of your calling and be led of the Spirit to a position of sympathy with desponding minds. Whatever you're facing, whatever adversity you've had in your life, God will use it for his glory. And there are people in your path, either this week or next month or in the next five years, that you will come across that will open your eyes to the depth of that experience. And as this, this, the phrase and saying goes, hindsight is twenty twenty, And it's very difficult when you're in that journey. It's very difficult when you're in that moment and you're struggling and all you have is depression right in front of your face and all you have is your sickness right in front of your face and all you have is those that have betrayed you right in front of your face. It's very hard to see what God is doing on the inside, but have hope in what he is doing at the inside is not only not, or it's not only for a reason, but it's not only just for your reason. It's for people in your path's reason, and God will use it not only for his glory in your life, but in others' lives. And there is a beautiful work that God is doing, and when it hurts like heck, rejoice because God is going to use it for his glory that you will be better off you will be more refined spiritually your hope has to go deeper and deeper in Jesus because right it has to because we'd have no more hope in my own being the only thing I have is but Christ and on Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand and so we can rejoice in that struggle we can consider it pure joy though it hurts like heck and sometimes when someone else tells us that we're just like Forget it, dude. Like, I don't want to hear it, right? And it does not help. It doesn't help. And hindsight is twenty twenty on that. God is bringing us to the fullness and the perfection of, his, of the life he's called us to. And if you're walking through this life uh, and you struggle with any such adversities, people questioning your motives or people plotting to kill you, whatever it might be, um, God is using it for his glory, and he's using it for your benefit. And that's hard to see. It's hard to deal with, but God is refining that and helping us to be more deeply rooted in him. We all have adversity. Every soul, every heart in this room has had them, if not at one level, at all of them. At all of them. And if you face one and you got through one, guess what? You'll have another one come before long. So we might as well just rejoice in it because we know that God's doing something good through it deeper and deeper. He's led us to this place and in this house. So I want to ask you to stand and bow your heads with me. Not in a religious mindset that we just kind of get into this place where that's what we do, but I want you to, to bow your head and, and just allow God to speak his truth into our hearts today. Allow him to surround us with his love in this moment. God, I believe right now in this place that you're doing a, a new work in people's hearts, God. Some in the house have faced incredible adversity, God, and we don't know how to even see past what we're facing right now, but God, you are good, 
You are good. Your love endures forever. And I pray right now in this place, God, that the adversity would not overcome us, but it would actually revive us. It would actually revive something in our spirit to let you do the incredible. God, if we've made it all about what we can accomplish and what we can do in this time, God, then I pray that you would just take it all, God. And just as Galatians 2.20 says, God, that we would just be solely um, having you living from the inside. It's not us who lives, but it's you that lives in us, God. That's our desire today. And I just pray that in this place, God, if there's any, pl- any person in this room that doesn't know you, that doesn't have a relationship with you, God, that we would walk in the fullness of what that means today.